Charlene and Bob Steinkamp, the founders of Rejoice Marriage Ministries, are pleased to bring you the following message. To find out more about other materials available from Rejoice Marriage Ministries, or if we can minister to you in any other way, please contact us. You can write Rejoice Marriage Ministries, P.O. Box 10548, Pompano Beach, Florida, 33061. Please visit our website at www.rejoiceministries.org. Our hope is that through Charlene's message, you will receive the encouragement from the Lord, and with His strength and power, your marriage can be all that your Heavenly Father planned it to be. Well, welcome to Rejoice Pompano in our different location. You guys found us. We got an email late this afternoon saying, you're in a different place, and we didn't really have a choice. So thank you for coming up here and um, finding us. I know everybody else is probably going to make their way in late. For many, today was the first day back to work and to school, and so it's kind of been a crazy day. As you see, somebody's missing, and I'm going to probably announce it later also, but... I'm not Charlene. <laughs> I cackle like her and I kind of look like her, but I'm not Charlene. But she um, has been sick for a couple of weeks with bronchitis. She got a cold that I think might have originated with me, so I might be the patient zero to blame. And then because she has asthma problems, she got it really bad and she was not feeling great and thought she wasn't going to be able to come. And then today she started feeling better. But the doctor called her at the end of the day and said, oh, I got your test results and you're contagious so you can stay home tonight. So she is sad, but she is watching us on Facebook Live and um, joining in with us. And so she is praying for you guys and is here in spirit and um, sent a message for me to read to you. So let me read her message. Um, she was excited because you know what? It's a new year with new beginnings. And does anybody else kind of geek out at a new year? Because I do. I love a new calendar. I love cleaning out closets because it's a new year we need to do. I, my kids have hated me for the past two weeks they've been home from school because we've cleaned every closet under every bed. You know, I'm like, you're home, you have free time. And so it's a time to kind of do new things. It's like a reset button. And so um, in Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, the scripture says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. New things, it's the new year. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Genesis 18, 13 through 14 says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Will you trust and rest with God's perfect peace in the Lord this year? Rest. That's not easy to do always. It's hard. Trust the Lord for his perfect timing and believe that there is a divine reason for what you're going through. Never forget the promises, the signs, the dreams that God has given to you. And may one of your goals be this year to read God's word with more passion and more fervency. 
That's a good goal to have this year. And you know what? If you mess up and you get off track, you reset and say, okay, tomorrow's a new day. So let me um, open in prayer and then we'll continue on. Lord, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for each person that's here. And Lord, I thank you for each family that's represented here, for each marriage and husband or wife that's being prayed for. And God, right now, we don't know where some of the spouses are that are represented in this room, but we know that you do. And just as that scripture says, nothing is too hard for you. So I pray that on the days that life just feels too overwhelming and the situation seems too hopeless, and it seems like there's no hope for healing in a marriage, there's no hope for restoration, I pray that you would just give hope to that situation. Lord, as we start a new year, I pray that this would be a time that we just recommit our walk with you and that we recommit to our stand that we're taking for marriages and we recommit to relationships and we recommit to pray for people that maybe we've stopped praying for as often. Lord, I pray that tonight would just be a special time as people are still making their way here. I just pray that you would give them traveling mercies and that you would protect them on the highway and I pray that we would just walk away from tonight knowing that you met with us and that you have filled us and you will give us the strength and the renewal that we need to face each and every day. In your name, amen. All right, well, she wanted me to read you Christian character traits for 2017. So let me read you a few of these. Be available to the Lord to use you every day throughout the day. Become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Become an excellent husband or wife or an excellent parent. Did you know that even if your spouse is not in your home, you can still be an excellent husband or wife? You can pray for your spouse. You can send them little notes or text messages. You can still be an excellent husband or wife. Be bold for the Lord's children who have fallen into sin. Be devoted to the Lord's plan and purpose for your life and marriage. Be diligent in reading God's word daily. We just talked about that. Be disciplined in all that you do. Be faithful to God and to your marriage vow. Be fearful of God. Be fruitful as you live your life and share the gospel to others. Be gentle in your behavior. That goes along with her famous saying, zip your lips, right? Gentle in your behavior. Be hopeful to all that you see. Be honest in everything. Be humble and gentle. Be joyful. You know, you can have joy even in the midst of the hard times. Even on those hard days, you can still be joyful. Be a lighthouse for the Lord. Be loving to your family and to others. Be a marathon runner and finish the race, but you don't even have to put on your sneakers for that one. You can finish the race well. Be a peacemaker. Be a prayer warrior for your marriage, your family, and around the world. Be a proclaimer for marriage restoration. Be self-controlled and alert. Be sensitive to others who are hurting. God may be sending people your way for you to pray for them. Be a student who studies, God, who studies God's word. Be thankful. Be thoughtful to others. Be truthful. Adultery started with one simple lie. Be trustworthy. Be a worshiper. Will you choose to live a victorious life knowing who you are in Christ? Will you choose to surrender your heart and your life and your will to God this year? And ask the Lord to remind you and to reveal to you the hidden areas or the secrets that we refuse to reveal to him. Choose this year to crucify your sinful nature and allow the Holy Spirit to break the chains of bondages that you struggle with. Right now you can pray, Lord, I choose today to follow your will. 
Use me, mold me, make me into the mighty man or woman of God that I need to be. Make me the spiritual leader in my home as the husband, the father, the son. Every day ask the Lord if you're walking towards him or away from him. And do not become tired or weary because in due season you will reap a harvest of restoration and loved ones around you. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And there's no better thing you could pursue for 2017. You can lose a few pounds or stop drinking soda, but that's something that's going to go on and on forever. So stand with us, and we're going to sing a couple of songs right now.
See? 
Good evening. I'm Deanne, one of Charlene's prayer partners. I'm glad to see the rooms filling up, that people are finding their way upstairs. And uh, we know today, as Lori said, is a hectic first day back to work, kids back to school. And uh, we had a little snap of winter today, right? <laughs> Our little tiny bit of winter, uh, which is nice. Okay. Well, we're so glad you all could make it tonight. Um, we would like to welcome our out-of-town visitors. Anyone from out of town tonight? Anyone? Our, our faithful Joe, God bless you for driving three, three and a half hours every month. He's faithful to come. God bless you, Joe. Anyone else from out of the area? Yes, where are you from? Melbourne, awesome. That's a couple, two, three hours, right? Bless you. Thank you for coming. And who's our guest in the back? Where are you from? Highland Beach. Okay. How far away is that? Okay. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Okay. Well, we want to celebrate our birthdays and anniversaries for the month of January. So let's start with, um, let's start with birthdays. On this side of the room, anyone have a birthday in January? Okay. In the back. When's your birthday? Well, happy birthday. Awesome. And, and your birthday? 28th. Okay, your, your neighbors. <laughs> happy birthday. Who else do we have on the other side here for, for January? Birthday? In the back, sir? 21st. Happy birthday. We won't ask how old. <laughs> okay. Birthdays are uh, any anniversaries this month? January. Anniversaries. No anniversaries for January? No one gets married in January? <laughs> Mario? Five years? January what? 28th? Okay. Okay. We'll have to make sure you know the exact date. <laughs> well, happy, happy anniversary. So we have a, a little gift for you to celebrate your birthday or anniversary. Um, you can go to the back table, and our lovely ladies will direct you to a free gift, okay? Um, most of the items would be free except for, like, the bigger, the bigger bundles. But uh, enjoy. Please go back and get your, um, your free gift for this month, okay? Um, next, we want to remind you, uh, in front of you, you have a prayer request card, and you also have a contribution envelope. So if you would like to um, fill those out, if you would like to contribute, then you can drop them in the ta on the table in the back. There's a basket, and you can drop it right in there, and um, we'll add you to the prayer list that we can all, the, the one that you get, I don't have one with me, but we'll add you to the prayer list, and that way we can all be praying for each other um, throughout the month. And, of course, your contribution is welcome so that we can continue um, the awesome work of this ministry. I know I, I wouldn't have survived without this ministry. How about anybody else? When I got connected four years ago, it was, it was definitely a godsend. So we thank God for Rejoice Marriage Ministries. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, we, at this time, uh, we're going to get into prayer circles. But before we do, I know some of you came in a little later, and Lori had announced that um, our precious Charlene is not going to be here tonight. Aww. We're, we miss her. We're going to miss her. But she was headed out the door. She's been battling a little cold, and she got a call from the doctor's office that her she's contagious. 
So they said, no, you're not going around a bunch of people. You have to stay home and rest. So needless to say, she was not happy about that. So she's watching us and praying for us. And of course, she would rather be here than home uh, battling the infection, whatever it may be. We'll find out. And we know that she's healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we will keep her in our prayers every day and cover her because she... Jesus already purchased her healing, so we know it's done. Uh, we want to gather at this time, uh, two or three together, men with men, women with women. And we just want to, you know, each of you can just pray a little short prayer because it's not going to be a lengthy prayer. Just lift up your most urgent need, and the others in your group will agree with you. And then I will close. Um, when you hear me praying, then we'll close, and then we'll move on to the teaching from Lori. He's going to give us an awesome teaching tonight. Okay, so go ahead and find um, two or three people that you can connect with in a prayer group.
So, Father, we, we just want to just seal every precious prayer that was lifted before your throne tonight, Lord God. We know that you say that where two or more are gathered, you're right here in the midst of us, Father, and that where two or more agree as touching anything, that we shall have what we ask for in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we are believing for our prayers to be answered. We are believing, Lord God, for you to move in mighty ways this year. We declare that you are great, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Father, we thank you that you are holy, that you are perfect, that your ways and your thoughts are so far above of ours, Lord, that we don't have to figure them out. We don't have to understand it. We can just trust you with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding, Father, but acknowledge you in all of our ways, Father, in everything, every situation, every circumstance, every great big thing, every small thing, Father, every detail. You know the thoughts that we think. You know the desires of our heart. You know the needs that we have, Father God, whether it be in our finances, in our in our bodies, Lord, in in our families, with our children, Lord, whatever the needs are, you know everything, Father, and we can trust you. We can cast all of our cares upon you, Lord, and we can take the yoke of Christ upon us for it's easy and light. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. As the song said, you are a good, good Father. You will never leave us or abandon us or forsake us, Father. We are never alone. You are always right there with us, Father, whether we're walking with you and Jesus or whether you're carrying us through our time of need. So Father, we praise you. We thank you, God, for your divine protection over every precious stander in this room tonight and around the world that will that will watch this. Father, we thank you for protecting us, our children, our prodigals, whether they are in home or in the far country. Thank you, God, that you are merciful, that your tender mercies are new every morning and that your compassion fails not. So God, we bless you for this new year, that it's a new day, a new season. It's a new time, Father. We're expecting, we need to be expecting for you to do miracle signs and wonders, Lord, as we pray your word, proclaim your word, speak your word, Father. We know that you watch over your word to perform it, and we bless you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your anointing on the rest of this meeting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Deanne. Well, since we last met, we celebrated Christmas and a new year. Some of you had some time away. And so I wanted to um, give you an opportunity to be able to share if there's been something that God's been doing. I hope you've been reading the testimonies on Saturday. Are you guys reading those? And encouraged. And you know, my little pet peeve is stickler is when people say, oh, I can't read the Saturday testimonies because I didn't get my miracle yet, so I can't read anybody else's. But you know what? You can read those and rejoice because God is still moving. If we didn't have any Saturday testimonies and we kind of dried up the well of people writing and saying, look what God's doing, 
then I would be discouraged. But I wouldn't be discouraged when God's doing things in other people's lives and around you because you know what that shows us? That he is still on the throne. And if he did it for them, he can do it for me. And if he did it for you, he can do it for you. And so um, read those testimonies. Today there was a testimony that came in and... Um, I should have printed it to bring it, but this woman was um, writing in, her husband has been with another person, and I don't believe they're married, but they're, they've been together for years, and Christmas Day, her husband came over at nine in the morning and opened gifts with her and her son, and made breakfast, and stayed for lunch, and stayed for dinner, and I was like, well, that's amazing, and I wonder what the other person was thinking, because she was probably wondering where he went the entire day, but you know what? Who cares? She got to spend the whole day with her husband, and God was so in the middle of that, and you know what? At the end of the day, he did leave and go home to this other person, but she had that whole day with him, and she was rejoicing in that, and so we need to be rejoicing when we see those things happening. Um, so we're going to take a few minutes, and if anybody has a brief testimony they want to share or something that's happened in the past month since we were together, um, just come up here, like we'll do four or five, just line up up here now, and we'll go in a little row, and those of you that are sitting there like, I don't know if I'm going to do it, just stand up and walk up. <laughs> All right. Just give your first name and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Gloria, and I've been coming to Rejoice Marriage Ministries since 2007. So this is 10 years now, and I am not divorced. My husband has never left home, and I have just, when God has you keep looking at yourself, I don't regret any of the, the sad parts or anything like that because it just keeps you focusing on yourself, and God's got me through every unlovable minute of it. So I haven't been alone, and I'm just so grateful to God and for the support that we have in a ministry and the daily emails. So God can get us through every situation, and there can be victory all the way through. So praise to God. Thank you. Over the past year, um, God has done some really, some miracles, actually. My husband, he was out of town. He lived in Virginia. In the past year, God has brought him back to Florida, in Fort Lauderdale, working back in South Florida. But over the past couple months, um, he started watching our dog again for, for me when I traveled a lot, because I travel a lot with work, so he will watch him. But he started coming to church with me, which has been so amazing. He came, he came to one of our um, Christmas events that we had at church, and this past weekend, he came Saturday night again. I actually got to serve him communion, so it was just beautiful. So, yes. Let me, ask, let me ask you a question. How did he come to church? Did he call you up and say, hey, can I come to church with you? No. Well, the first time I invited him, because he, he needed peace, he was like in, when he dropped Vegas off, Vegas is our dog. When he dropped him off one Friday evening, he was just in this turmoil, just not at peace at all. So the next morning, I reached out to him. I just sent him a little email. Would you like to come to church tonight? And it was, he said, yeah. And he showed up. He met me there. And um, so now he's like ready, really excited about coming to church. That's awesome. It's so amazing. That's awesome. Thank you. Did anybody see the video that my mom did on, um, I guess it was New Year's Day, Christmas Day? And she, it was before Christmas. It was a video she did before Christmas. It's on Facebook if you didn't see it. And I believe it was emailed out to you. But she said, invite your spouse to do something, to come to church. To, they may reject you, and that's okay, but invite them because who knows? They may be wanting an invitation, and, and you didn't give it. So come on up. 
My name is Anna, and um, I'm up here because San pushed me up here. Anyway, um, I'm grateful for the prayers, and God has been so gracious. Um, John's been home a while under the same roof, but uh, our daughter, our other daughter, is in uh, Mozambique, Africa, and we went for three and a half weeks to see her over there uh, with her husband. He's an airline pilot, missionary pilot there, so... Uh, we were, you know, in another country, so of course, you know, you have more in common because now it's just us and look at those things and, you know, we just, and of course this is our daughter and our granddaughters and everything and so it, it was really neat. Um, um, I, I could see he really, you know, cares because he's protective and stuff like that, but I don't, we were in the same room and same bed for three and a half weeks. But now we're home and he's in his own room, but it's, it's amazing how God I know is working in his heart. And we have another daughter here that, uh, with our granddaughter, and we just need prayers there. But um, you have to believe in God when you go to Mozambique, Africa. You have to know, I mean, those rocky roads there and the, the poorness and everything, and just to know how blessed we are here. So I just praise God for that and uh, bring us back here safely. Thank you. Um, um, I, I was getting very weak in my stand, and uh, God, God allowed me to go to, uh, there's a place in Kansas City where they've been praying and worshiping for 17 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, praising Jesus and, and, pray, and praying. And uh, God allowed me to go there. Um, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go, and I just kept praying. Focus on the family gave me money. I was shocked. I didn't even ask for it. Um, to go there. Uh, I, was, I was very, very weak, but um, when I got there, I just threw my heart into worship. Um, numerous people uh, prayed, prayed for me. Uh, they, di they diagnosed me with mental illness. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to let that stop me. Uh, the uh, Holy Spirit gave me a word, and he said, he's going to walk with me through the fire, through this. He's going to walk with me through this. It's just some, some, some things, sometimes the mountain moves, sometimes God just strengthens you to climb, <laughs> climb the mountain. So he said, don't be afraid of it, just trust him, walk with him. And um, yeah, just, I was strengthened mightily, a uh, little bit of evangelism, but I, yeah, it was just, just amazing to just worshiping God night and day, uh, you know, in, 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 in that environment, just encouragement and hope. And I got strength to keep going in my stand and just praying, you know, God to mold me into a strong man of God who takes care of his children and, and goes forward with Jesus. So, yeah. Thank you. Hi, guys. My name is uh, Yersi. I'm back here again to share a few more of God's blessings I just wanted to share, don't give up. Um, as I reflect over this last year and a half, things seem hopeless, but as I continue to, you know, just cling to God and his word and his promises, um, he just continues to show faithful. I was able to share um, with my husband and family a same vacation, and it was totally, totally God. He, uh, my husband had um, the week after Christmas off, so between Christmas and New Year's, and I work for the airline, so I've shared my testimony before. We've been traveling uh, together and so forth. So I um, was able to 
miraculously by, by God get the same week that my husband had off. Um, and it was a mistake in the system. And they granted me that week's vacation. <laughs> and it was the same exact week. Um, and so anyway, we were able to share that week right after Christmas. Um, shortly after, we went to New York for a couple of days to see his, um, to see his dad, my father-in-law, who had been sick. We came back. Um, he was supposed to go back to work. I was supposed to return to work. And um, a friend of his invited him to Colombia um, to go on an adventure trip. And so he wanted me to go. I told him to go, but he, he wanted me to go along with him. Okay. The 31st was our anniversary. Um, and I had given him something simple because we had shared uh, Christmas and we exchanged gifts uh, with the children. And so I went out shopping to like TJ Maxx the day before and I wanted to do something travel related and I found like this little globe and I wrote him a little note, you know, about the world and um, basically saying how the world is so big and there's so much to see and do and memories to create. Um, let's see the world together. And he was just really touched by it and then a day or two later, his friend invited us to Colombia, and we went and we spent three days in Colombia traveling together. Um, so that's like a huge praise. Um, also, uh, he was sleeping in the living room for, for quite a while, um, this whole time, and we had a bug incident in our, in our house in one of the back closets. And for like the last three weeks, he's been sleeping in our bedroom because the bugs are <laughs> in the back. So thank you, Jesus, for those bugs. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to share. Just stay encouraged. Continue to have faith. I do. Um, even while in Colombia, the enemy will try to battle. I mean, the mind games are just ridiculous. Just continue to call on the name of Jesus. Don't give up. He's working. 2017 is going to be the year of breakthroughs. Continue to have faith. Thank you. <laughs> Here's your phone. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, haven't seen my wife, haven't heard from my wife. But over the holidays, there were a couple of positive things that had happened, and I didn't give up, and I was about to give up. I hear Mario's story, and it kind of touched my heart, and some things that I've been going through and looking at giving up. And being told, well, you know, you should get with a dating program or start going out or start dating people. And I'm like, no, I love my wife. And um, I want her back in my life. And uh, so what I did over the holidays is I, I uh, called her, left a message, didn't receive any report back. And then I also, uh, right around New Year's, um, I sent her a little devotional that I had over a text and I sent that out and didn't receive anything back but it was a couple of mornings later and I get a call out of the blue from a friend of mine that I've been talking with and he says I'm just calling you just to say that Jesus loves you and uh, he cares about you and he really wants the best for you and I was not feeling so great that morning. I had not been able to sleep. I'd gone through some oral surgery. And so I was a little groggy. And uh, I went back to bed. And all of a sudden, I get a call. And my phone's ringing. And I'm like, oh, I wonder who this is. And I picked it up. And I looked at it. And I'm, it's a friend of mine's former girlfriend of like 10 years. They're split up now. But I hadn't heard from her in forever. 
And uh, she calls me up, and we started talking about God. And we started talking about how God can move and how God has really rearranged her life and put someone very special into her life after the situation that she went through with my friend. And I said, there is hope out there. And so if he's got someone for her, I'm hoping that, you know, my wife will come along sooner or later and her mind will be renewed and her heart will be adjusted. And I said, I can't give up hope. I definitely can't give up hope. Next thing I know, she says, well, I've got a, my husband who um, wants to pray for you. Now, this guy's in, I don't know, some other land, Columbia or something like that. She calls him up, and she says, I'm just going to tell him a little bit about your testimony and what's going on. He gets on the phone, and he starts praying in Spanish. Of course, I don't understand Spanish, but she says, I'm going to interpret for you. And so through his prayers, he tells me that the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and that my wife is coming back. My wife is going to be with me. So it gave me some hope. It was a great prayer, and uh, I said, this just doesn't, doesn't happen every day. So I can't give up hope, and I don't want any of you giving up hope. And 2017 is our year of renewal and rejoicing, as the name states, and uh, also for uh, certainly any of you out here who are on the verge of giving up to rejoice that there will be restoration, there will be reconciliation this year for all of us. Whether it's something so small as a glimmer or something as big as the husband or the wife coming back home. So don't give up hope. Thank you. The next song we're going to sing is called God is Able, which, I mean, you hear those testimonies and going to Africa with your husband or going to Colombia with your husband or having somebody you haven't heard from in so long call you and say, I'm going to have my husband pray for you. God is able. So on those days when you feel like it's too much, in a little while we're going to talk about locusts and the bugs. That's why I said that you're, we're talking about bugs tonight. But... <laughs> What, what does it say? That God's going to restore what the locusts have eaten with those bugs. And those bugs brought about a change in your situation. So God is able. When we think that there's no hope and it's too much, we, we doubt God and his power and what he can do. So that's awesome. Um, just one final time for those of you that were late. I'm not Charlene. She's sick tonight. and She really wanted to be here, but she's not. So... Um, we're going to sing one more song, and then we've got a brief video to watch, and then we're going to open the word together, and I just pray that it will just be a blessing and encouragement for what we do the rest of the night. So um, let's stand, and we're going to sing God is Able.
Some of you will recognize what those letters stand for. If you're not sure, let me help you out. If you are a young man in a relationship with a young woman, then uh, chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school. On the very first date, the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. But at some point, it's important to define the relationship, to see if things are moving from infatuation and admiration to deeper devotion and commitment. I guess that's really what determines how you feel about the DTR talk. How committed are you to the person? If you want it to be just a casual weekend thing, chances are you're not going to be very excited about it. In fact, the DTR talk might make you a little anxious, might even uh, send you into a fight or flight response. I guess what I'm wondering is what would it be like if you were to sit down with Jesus and have a DTR talk? How would that conversation go? How committed are you to Him? I mean, maybe you would be excited to have that conversation. Or maybe it would 
make you pretty uncomfortable. Really, it just depends on how you feel about Jesus. Hi, what can I get you? Uh, can I get two Diet Cokes? Okay. Thanks. Because there are plenty of people who want a relationship with Jesus. They, they just want it on their terms. They want a no-strings-attached relationship where they get all the benefits without any of the commitment. And if you asked them if they believed in Jesus, they'd probably say they did. But here's the thing. If you study through the scriptures, you would find that Jesus was really never that interested in enthusiastic admirers. It really wasn't fans that Jesus wanted. What Jesus wanted was completely committed followers. And so maybe the best question to ask ourselves as we define the relationship, are you a fan or a follower? For much of my life, I was just a fan of Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home and I learned about the Bible at an early age. I, I suppose if you were to ask me if I was a follower, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. But the truth is, I was measuring that relationship by the wrong things. I thought I was a follower because I went to church on the weekends and I had a Bible in my room. Or maybe I prayed if things got really desperate. I remember in my room when I was in junior high, I had this poster of Jesus and it was right next to a poster of Michael Jordan. And that kind of captures it. I was a fan of Jesus like I was a fan of Mike. I knew all about him, but I didn't really know him. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, when I look out at a congregation, I guess I can't help but wonder if our churches have really become stadiums full of fans. Hello? No, no, I hadn't heard that. What hospital is he in? Okay. No, it's all right. I'll, uh, I'll be there as soon as I can. Thanks. So let me just come right out and ask you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus, or are you really just a fan? Now take your time with your answer. Don't rush it. It may be the most important question you ever ask yourself. In fact, let me ask you a few other questions to help you answer that one honestly. Here's the first question. Have you made a decision to believe in Jesus, or have you committed to following Jesus? 
See, I think a lot of people at some point in their life made a decision to believe. And they believe that Jesus is God's son, but they never really made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe that's you. At some point in your life, someone shared with you John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, who doesn't want that? And so they make a decision to believe in Jesus, but they never really make a commitment to follow him. A number of months ago at the church I work at, I received an email from a man who said he didn't want to be a part of the church anymore, and the only reason he gave was, I don't like Kyle's preaching. Well, that begs for more of an explanation. And so even though I didn't know him, I just picked up the phone and called him. When he answered, I said, hi, this is Kyle Eidelman. I understand you're leaving the church because you don't like my sermons. Well, this caught him off guard, as I thought it might. There was some awkward silence, but then he began to ramble as he explained what he meant by that. And in the middle of his explanation, he said something that got my attention. In fact, I pulled over to the side of the road and I wrote it down. Here's what he said. Whenever I listen to you preach, I feel like you're trying to interfere with my life. He was saying, I believe in Jesus. I'm a fan of Jesus, but don't ask me to follow. I'll come to church on the weekends. I'll pray before my meals. I'll throw some money in the plate, but I don't want Jesus interfering with my life. The problem is when Jesus defined our relationship with him, being a fan wasn't an option. While a lot of people are familiar with the words of Jesus from John 3:16, there's another passage of scripture that records the words of Jesus from Luke 9:23. These words are often overlooked. You don't see them written on a poster and held up at a game, but I assure you they are just as legitimate. Jesus says in Luke 9:23, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me." And Jesus was making it clear that to call yourself a Christian is more than just an intellectual acceptance about who he is. It's following him with your whole heart. If you read through the Gospels, you will find that about five times Jesus says, believe in me. But about 20 times, he says, follow me. A lot of fans see Jesus as one of many important things. But in verse 33, Jesus says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And uh, the crowds begin to thin out. The fans start to go home. See, fans admire Jesus, but followers are devoted to him. They're willing to sacrifice for him. And here's a question to ask yourself. Has following Jesus cost me anything? Has it cost me a promotion? Has it cost me popularity? You really don't know if you are devoted to something or someone until sacrifice is required. And so fans admire, 
but followers are devoted. Or what about this question? Is your relationship with Jesus moving from casual to committed? You know, really, that question is answered when the relationship is tested. If I perform a wedding, the bride and groom will repeat their vows of commitment after me. They'll say, for better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and in health. But you know, really, those are just words until they're tested. And worse becomes infertility. Poor becomes foreclosure. Sickness becomes a wheelchair. And when it's tested, then you know if it's committed. So from time to time, Jesus would test a relationship to see if it, if it really was committed. There's an example of this. It's in John chapter 6. We read that great crowds were following Jesus. And it tells us why. It says they were following Jesus because of the miracles. They wanted to see the show. In fact, a few verses earlier in John 6, it says that Jesus took a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and he fed a crowd of thousands. They wanted the miracles with the free food, but some time passes by, they get hungry again, and Jesus isn't offering free food. Instead, he just offers himself. And for the crowd, that wasn't enough. So the chapter ends this way. It says, from that point on, many who were with Jesus turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus didn't chase after them. He didn't try to talk them out of it. He let them go home. Because really, he wasn't interested in a lot of uh, casual fans. He wanted committed followers. Um, I was looking for the room of Eric Nelson. Here's another question. Are there certain areas of your life labeled off-limits, or does Jesus have all access? A fan will have certain doors of their life that Jesus isn't allowed into, and so they may say, Jesus, I give you the key to my heart, but in reality, they have some doors that that key won't open, and maybe the key you give him won't open the door labeled money, or the door labeled relationships, or success, or work. Those are areas that you've decided are off-limits. And so we say, Jesus, I give you my life, but it's kind of this exception clause. I mean, there are certain things that aren't included. Jesus, make yourself at home, but stay out of the bedroom. You can come to work, but there are certain meetings you don't get to attend. There's some nights I'm going to go out with my friends. You don't get to come along. And so we try to define the relationship on our terms. And yet Jesus made it clear that if we are to follow him, it requires a complete commitment. In fact, the very first sermon he ever preached, called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about all kinds of areas that you and I tend to label as off-limits. I mean, he talked about lust and sex, marriage and divorce. He talked about money and stress. He even talked about politics. Because he wanted to make it clear that a relationship with him is all-inclusive. That a follower gives Jesus the master key. See, we, we say to Jesus, I don't mind you making some changes in my life, but Jesus wants to turn your life upside down. We say, I don't mind a little bit of touch-up work, 
Jesus wants complete renovation. We're thinking tune-up, he's thinking overhaul. We think a little decorating, why not? But Jesus wants a complete remodel. He will not settle for a relationship with you where he gets some small box of your life labeled religion. He won't settle for just a few seconds of your day before you fall asleep at night and whisper some prayers to him. He, he won't settle for just an hour a week on Sunday that you check off your list. No, Jesus wants you to love him the same way that he loves you with all of your heart. pastor with the family here. Oh, I'm glad you're here. Go on. Mrs. Nelson, I'm Dr. Campbell. We spoke earlier in the ER. Yes, I remember. How is he? It appears that Mr. Nelson's heart attack is catastrophic. Our tests show that the damage done to his heart is extensive, perhaps irreparable. But the real issue is that his brain has been without oxygen for a long time. What does that mean? His brain is not responding to any of the stimulus that we've introduced. We have run the gamut of tests. And I'm afraid there's nothing else we can do. We simply see no brain function at all. I'm recommending that we turn off the respirator and let him go. <laughs> Doctor, is it all right if I have a few minutes to pray with the family? Of course, I'll be outside. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's hard to know how to pray at a moment like this. And so we cry out to you as uh, helpless children who don't know what to do and don't know what the future holds. But God, we know that you are the all-knowing and all-powerful God. death. I suppose more than any other word, that word defines what it means to follow Jesus. We die to ourselves and follow Him. But this is not the small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to Him. It's only then that we find life. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me. And he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower?
just can't get over it. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm so sorry about your loss. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I hope you hold up okay. Uh, Reverend, come in, come in. Thank you. You can just call me Kyle, though, that's fine. I see. I'm sure it meant a lot to Anna, you being with us at the hospital last night. I was glad to be there. We haven't met formally. I'm Bill Nelson, Eric's father. Oh, okay. It's good to meet you, Bill. Well, she's taking it pretty hard, as you might expect. I think you should start your rounds with her. This way. Hey, Anna. You doing okay? I think I'm okay if I keep busy. But everybody keeps telling me to sit so they can do everything. Other than uh, all the details with the funeral, how are you holding up? warned us about this, you know. The doctor told him that this could happen five years ago. And I was so scared it would. And now it has, and I just... To live in the reality of your greatest fear is just... I almost lost him five years ago. And I'm so glad I didn't because it brought us closer together. So I could see a reason for that, but this? I don't see any good in this or why it had to happen. I'm so sorry, Anna. I can't imagine what you're going through. Mom. And Sarah's on the phone. Do you want to talk? All right. It's my sister. Excuse me. Hi, Sarah. Natalie, is there anything I can uh, help with around the house? Yeah, you can go eat some of that food downstairs. There's no way we're going to be able to eat all that. No, they're, they're sweet. The people from Dad's work, they brought it. They meant so much to him, and I think they just want to give it back. Well, I know that uh, you meant a lot to your dad, too. It's pretty obvious that he was very proud of you. Thanks. Thank you. Think Anna will stay in this house? I don't know. You know, she didn't really want to move in here in the first place. 
I'll get the door. Hey. hey, hello again. It's Kyle? Yeah, it's Darren, right? You got it. Wish I could say it's nice to see you again. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Uh, you and Eric were uh, pretty good friends. How'd you know him? We worked together for a few years. Uh, he was my boss. And we used to go to the same church, too. I mean, he really helped me out those first few years in the office. And uh, he taught me a, a lot about business. So you were friends for a while? Yeah. Yeah, we were. I'm uh, sorry for your loss. Thanks. I, I really appreciate it. Well, let me uh, grab those flowers oh, and you can get yeah, right. some food. Right. Thanks. So am I next on your rounds? You know, I'm not so much making rounds, just dropping some flowers off. You getting things in order? Someone has to. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Well, you're young for a reverend. I'm sure you do a lot of guessing. Bill, can I get you some food, something to eat? No, thanks. You sure it's uh, no trouble? I'm fine. Those people that Eric worked with brought it. I'm sure they're nice, but I don't know where they've been. I don't care for them too much, to be honest. Never cared too much for that job, either. Eric was a good businessman, but you wouldn't know it to look around this place. God wants us to provide for our families, doesn't he? Eric could have done a lot better than this. I guess that depends on your perspective. Life's too short for us to throw our money away. I never wanted to outlive him. But I suppose God has his reasons even if we don't understand them. <clears throat> Isn't that right, Reverend? Doesn't necessarily make it easier to accept. He doesn't have to explain them if he doesn't want to. We just accept and go on. That's what faith is. Hey, can I help you with that? Hey, how are you? Here you go, Gary. Thanks, Tony. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too, bud. It was good to see you all. You must be Eric's brother. <laughs> Have you ever met Eric's dad? You know, I just, uh, just got a chance to talk to him inside. If that were my father, I'd be glad to be dead. Is it really that bad? Yeah. Yeah, and he just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, when we were kids. So you've, uh, you've known Eric for a long time. How long have you known him? Since high school. I'm sure after all these years, Gary, this is... It's got to be really tough. Yeah. Well... You know, I always figured that if God was going to zap one of us, it'd be me. You know, though, Eric could hold his own. <laughs> Even showed me up a few times. And he let things get to him. But five years ago, he just 
had a breakdown. After a couple of years, we patched things up, but it was never the same. To me, that's kind of sad. I mean, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Something like that, yeah. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Oh, I'm, uh, Kyle. Here's my card. <laughs> so you're from Eric's church. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll call this number, if you can answer this. If Eric is so good, and God is so good, why is Eric gone? You know, Gary, there is no easy answer to that question. Yeah. Well, maybe the answer is because neither one of them is as good as people let on. Anna asked me to lead through Eric's funeral on Tuesday. I know that you all probably know him better than anyone. It would help me a lot just to hear your thoughts and, and feelings about Eric's life. He was a good friend. Eric was one of the most honest people I've ever met. And he always encouraged me to do my best. He always tried to do the right thing. Even though I sometimes made that difficult. He, um, he was a great father. Let me ask you this, if, if there was one thing Eric would want to have said at his funeral, what would that be? My brother stood up for people when no one else would. I think I'll always remember that about him. I think he'd like other people to do the same. Kim's right. My dad did a lot of good things for a lot of people. And I think that he'd want everyone to know why. Because of what he believed. Natalie, I know it would be really difficult but would you be willing to say a few words at your dad's funeral? Okay. There's this young single father that's been going to our church for I guess about a year. His story would probably sound pretty familiar to you. He grew up in a religious home, made a decision for Jesus when he was a kid. But he never really committed himself to following after Christ. But that's all changed now. I mean, he is a completely committed follower and the transformation has been pretty dramatic. 
I mean, he would tell you that before he was a follower, his life consisted of getting drunk, smoking pot, chasing girls. He said he was angry at the world, but he didn't really know why. Just going through life aimlessly and without purpose. But the transformation, I mean, you would notice it right away if you talk to him. He's got this joy and this peace in his life, and he's always serving. Finances are tight for him, but he gives generously to people who are in need. I guess, though, it was a few months ago that he asked if I would sit down and talk to his mom. I said, okay. I didn't know what she wanted, but I knew she went to another church in town, so I, I assumed she probably just wanted to say thank you for the difference in her son's life. But she didn't want to say thank you. In fact, she was upset. She was upset with me and upset with the church, and she was upset with her son because, in her words, he's taken all of this too far. And she didn't like how he was praying before all the meals and how he would always talk to relatives about some scripture he'd read or some sermon he'd listened to. And she, she said to me, would you please tell him that the Bible teaches moderation in all things? Would you please tell him it doesn't have to be all or nothing? I tried not to get upset. I tried to have this pleasant smile on my face, but my jaw was clenched and I could feel my eyebrows narrow and I was angry. I was defensive for my friend and so I do what I always do when I get mad. I start quoting from Revelation. I said, no, Jesus didn't teach that. In fact, Jesus said to the church in Revelation, you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He taught the exact opposite of moderation in all things. He taught that if you wanted to follow him, it would cost you everything. And so he's ready for you to define the relationship. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Let me ask you that question. Are you a fan or follower? Are you all in and fully committed to Christ, whatever that requires, whatever he asks of you, wherever it's going to take you? In that video you just saw, Pastor Kyle Eidelman said, a follower gives Jesus the master key to their life. He doesn't just want to make changes. He wants to turn our lives upside down. You feel like your life has been turned upside down, maybe? Jesus won't settle for a relationship with you where you get some small box of your life-labeled religion. He wants you to love him the same way that he loves you, and that's with all your heart. A fan is flippant. A fan comes and goes. A follower is fully committed regardless of the circumstances. Some of you might be sports fans, and when our team is doing great, like the Dolphins do great, we're on board. Or when they do badly, like yesterday, we might not be on board. That's a fan or a follower, the truly committed. Are you all in? 
Turn with me to the book of Joel, and we're going to spend some time there. And in Joel, we find um, Joel speaking to the people of Judah. In fact, he's not just speaking to them. He's almost begging them. He's begging them um, and warning them of God's impending wrath, and he's begging them to turn their hearts back to God. A plague of locusts have come, the bugs that we were going to talk about, and they've eaten the crops. And they didn't just eat the crops, but they've destroyed the crops. It was as if there was nothing left, as if there was no hope. So Joel chapter 1, we'll start in verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locust have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. There's nothing left. I mean, the locusts have eaten it off, eaten it all. In verse verse 4, it says the great locusts have eaten, and then the young locusts came and ate more. And the young locusts left, and other locusts came. Like, it just kept going and going and going. Locusts, um, have you ever seen a locust, anybody? I'm going to show you a picture of a locust. A locust looks very gross by itself, but in a swarm, they fly low to the ground, and they hover together. And they get so massive that if they fly in front of the sun, they can block the sun. They cause such great destruction Destruction that seemed beyond repair. And your marriage may feel that way. It may feel like it's too far gone. There's too much. There's no hope. The destruction's too great. You might feel like this boy with a broom swatting off the enemy, which feels like it's not going to do any good. You need to decide if you're all in or if we're going to be tossed with everything that happens, like the waves. All in means no turning back. It means you're sold out to Christ and to his will and to whatever happens. You fully trust him for your future. And some may say, well, you don't know my situation, or you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I've been through. I don't know what exactly you've been through, but I do know this, that if your situation is beyond the scope of what God can handle, then he has stopped being God. And I know that he has not stopped being God. So whatever your situation is or whatever your mountain is, is not too great for our God because he is still God and he is still on the throne and he is still able. So how do you get all in? How do you sell out to Jesus? Well, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he tells us, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, 
with all your heart, not just part of it, all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. All your heart, that's all in. Verse 13 says to rend your heart and not your garments. And the word rend, do you know what that means? It's like tearing your clothing, like in anguish. Like you're so in anguish that you tear your clothes. And God's saying, rend your heart, not your garments. He doesn't want our outward rituals. He wants our heart, and he wants us fully committed to him. The steps in verse 12 are given to us. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. He tells us there. Recently, our pastor told us a story about a little girl, and she went to the dime store with her mom, and she bought a strand of pearls. Obviously, they were fake because they were from the dime store, but they were her treasured item. And she wore these pearls day after day. She would only take them off to go to the, take a bath. And every night when her dad would tuck her in, he would say, may I have your pearls? And she would say, no, these are mine, but you can have my Barbie. And the dad would say, that's okay. Good night, and give her a kiss and tuck her in. This went on every night. No, daddy, but you can have my tea set. No, daddy, but you can have this toy or that toy. And every night, she rejected his request for those pearls. Every night, the conversation was repeated, and the dad never got the answer he wanted. Finally, one day, the little girl came to the dad, and she held out her hand, and she handed him the pearls. And she said, here you go, Dad, you can have these. And the dad reached in his pocket, pulled out a blue velvet box, and in there was a strand of beautiful, genuine pearls. And he said, here, this is what I have for you. He had them all along, but he was waiting for her to give up the dime store junk that she had, that she was holding on to so tightly. And how often do we do that? And how often do our earthly mother and father and siblings and husband or wife want to give us something better, but we're holding on to what we think we want? God wants us to give up the junk in our lives so that he can give us the treasure that he has for us. Are we holding on to dime store items when he has something better? When we're all in, we give the Lord our full obedience. When my mom divorced my dad, her dime store treasure was her freedom and her happiness. She pursued that divorce. She was told by her friends and by pastors and by people at church, you have biblical grounds. He'll never change. You should be happy. You deserve to be happy. Have you heard any of those statements from well-meaning people? Once she divorced him, she realized that she wasn't happy, and she realized that she had traded something that she didn't intend to trade. She realized that what she wanted was the blue velvet bag with the genuine item that Jesus had for her, and that was her marriage. Now, did she want to wait almost three years to have that? No. She wanted it immediately. 
that day that she went to the altar and committed her life and repented of what she had done in her marriage and realized that, oh, it wasn't just him. I, I was at fault as well. She wanted him to come home that day. But that's not what God's best was for their situation. If she would have pushed the timing and not waited on him, none of us would probably be in this room tonight. She waited for that perfect treasure that God had for her. His way is always best because he is the king of kings. And when we try to push our will and our way on him, then we are dethroning him and saying, I actually know better than you, God. I know that this is what you think, but I think I have a better idea. Being all in is telling God that I know that you know what's best for my life. Is God rejoicing that your spouse moved out or that he's abandoned your children or that he's had an affair or she's left and moved in with somebody else? No, but have you seen God bring about change in your life since this has started? How many of you have had a change in your spiritual walk since you've been through this? It's almost every hand in the room. If you would not have gone through this, where would you be spiritually today? Some of us start the year off by vowing to lose weight or reduce my cholesterol or stop drinking soda or whatever habit we want to get rid of. By the third or fourth day of the year, have another sip of your soda. (laughs) I know. (laughs) By the third, she took a sip right at the right time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) By the third or fourth day of the year, we're falling back into our old habits. And we make an appointment and we go to the doctor and find out that our test results are off the charts and not in a good way. And we're suddenly motivated. We found the motivation we need to make the change and to be all in to our health or to that habit that we need to stop. This is how we can be with our relationship with Jesus so often. We just coast until there's a crisis and then we want to get all in. And we just kind of go along. We might go to church, tithe, volunteer in a ministry even, but we're not really sold out with all of our heart to what he wants from us. But he wants us all in. He doesn't just want part of us, and he doesn't just want those actions that we're doing to try to please him. In Beth Moore's book, Audacious, she says, nothing Jesus will ever woo us to lay down on his behalf, is worth what we'd miss if we didn't. If he wants your hands free, he has something for you to put in them. If he wants your feet loose, he has somewhere to plant them. If he wants your mouth shut, zip your lips, right? He has a new set of words to put in it. He's not trying to cheat you or to trick you. He's not placing bets on you or playing games with you. He does not dispense grace with an eyedropper. He drenches us with it. He does not offer bare existence. He extends life abounding in blessing and power and passion and purpose. And if people told you that God was stingy, they don't know their Bible. Right now, God may be asking you to lay down your will and your timing for this season. He wants you to trust him, and he wants to show you what he can accomplish when you give it to him and when you go all in. And this relationship 
is the most important thing, far more important than this relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your brother, sister, whoever that person is. This is the priority. Later in Joel, we read that God restored the crops. And if you've not read through the book of Joel recently, I would encourage you to read it. But Joel 2, verse 19, the Lord will reply to them, I'm sending you new grain and new wine and new oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Verse 21, be not afraid, O land, be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Verse 23, be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you his autumn rains and his righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of your Lord God, who has now worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. It looked hopeless. They had destroyed the land, but God had something better, and he rebuilt what was dead and what was hopeless, and that's what he wants to do for you. So as we start a new year, are you ready to be all in? Or are you still trying to hold on to things and to see what you can do or how you can twist what God wants? This morning when I opened my devotional reading, it was Joshua 6, and it went along perfect with what we were talking about tonight. So turn to Joshua, and we're going to read a good portion of this chapter. Joshua 6, and this is when Jericho, the fall of Jericho happened. Jericho was a city that was protected by walls, and not just walls like we see here, but walls that were up to 25 feet high, and some say the walls were 20 feet in thickness. I can't even in my mind imagine that, a wall that is that insurmountable because that seems like something you can't even get over. Soldiers would stand on top of the 25 feet of wall so that they could protect it and they could have a view for miles of the city in front of them. The Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience and they refused to obey God and conquer Canaan. And so now there was a new generation in And that new generation was ready to obey, so they set out for the city. And Jericho was the first city to fall. So let's read in Jericho um, 6. And we'll start in verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of an ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Wouldn't you love it if God would just write it out for you like that? Like, how simple would that be? I just need you to do this. 
But you know what we would do? We would say, Lord, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. But I, I think it would be nice. <laughs> So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Verse 7, And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord, went forward blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpet, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpet kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. Verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Let's jump to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. That wall, that 25-foot, 20-foot-wide wall collapsed when they shouted. If you go back to verse five and, and, uh, chapter 5 and verse 14, we see Joshua before this started, and he asks at the end of that verse, he fell face down in reverence to God, and he says, what message does my Lord have for my servant? We need to be inquiring of the Lord. We need to fall on our face before him, and we need to say, what do you have for me? What message do you have for me? What city do you want me to march around? What do you want from me this year in 2017? What do you want from me, God? And if we're never being still before him to listen to him, then we're never going to hear from him because going to church is great and doing your Bible studies and coming here and things like that, but it's not enough. You have to be all in and have time with the Lord alone so that he can speak to you and that you can hear from him. When you're all in, you ask God for his message. Do you remember those toys? They were when I was a child, so like 70s. And it was like a red and a blue circle. And it was almost like a Tupperware type plastic thing. And it had little shapes all on the side. And you would take the shapes out and then you would put them in and match them up. It was like a little puzzle thing. And children would always try to put like the little cross in the circle spot. And it would never fit because it would go in the cross spot. That's what we do so often in our relationship with God. We go to God and we say, Lord, I need... X, Y, and Z. 
but I've got a way that this will work. So can you please bless my plans and my idea and the way I want this to happen? Can you please change this person and to do this? And can you make this happen tomorrow? Instead of just saying, Lord, what do you want? We try to contort that and to try to make God twist his will to be ours. And that's not what we should do. When we're all in, we're willing to listen to God. It requires obedience, full obedience. So do you trust God? Do you trust who he is and what he has to say to you? And when you're really serving and you have a relationship with him and you're all in and you're walking around a city or you're praying for a spouse, those people that marched around that city did not see a crack in that wall. They were marching, and I'm sure it felt like this is ridiculous. What are we doing? The wall has not even started to have a crack. And that's the way it may seem in your situation right now. It may seem like I'm praying, and I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing a change in this relationship. I'm not hearing from God. I don't, ha- I don't even see a crack in what's happening. But all at once, just like the wall fell in Jericho, God can bring that down all at once. He can do that when we're standing for a marriage that seems hopeless. Most of you know my parents' testimony. When my parents were divorced, my dad wanted nothing to do with talking about restoration. He said all the cliche things that you've probably heard before. I'm in love with somebody else. I don't want to come back. I'm happy. You should move on. Everything he said was, would tell my mom, this is hopeless. And her friends and her church and her pastor were saying the same thing. But the day that they were remarried was the day that my dad drove an hour and a half down here from Fort Pierce, Florida, showed up at her office window and tapped on her window, and she was shocked to see him there and said, can I take you to lunch? Well, she dropped everything and went to lunch with him, as most of you probably would. And at that restaurant that day, my dad was in a battle with God. He was there because he felt the wooing of the Holy Spirit, not because he wanted to make things right with my mom. And it was before cell phones, as my mom will tell you, so she couldn't quick text somebody to pray because Bob just picked me up for lunch. She was alone with the Lord to deal with this. And you know what? That was probably the best thing. And as my mom or my dad left to go to the restroom and my mom sat there and he immediately said, call the pastor and see if we can get married this afternoon. And at the beginning of that lunch, he said, just go get a marriage license, stick it in your Bible, and stop praying for me because this is enough. Like, just put it in your Bible, have it, and move on with life. And she wouldn't agree to that because that's not what she wanted. She was all in, whether it was going to happen in three years or 33 years or 83 years. She was all in. And by the end of that lunch... He had changed his mind. Now, was he all in? Let me tell you the truth. Let me just warn you. When your restoration happens, there may not be butterflies and fireworks on day one, two, three, or ten. When he came home that night, we went to um, a restaurant for dinner. It was right steak and ale. It used to be right here around the corner. We went with my grandparents and we had a celebration dinner and we went back to the house and my dad sat on the edge of the bed and he said, what have I done? Because he, he just was acting out of his own will that afternoon. And he had to call this other woman and tell this other woman who he was very close to being engaged to, I won't be coming back because I married Charlene this afternoon. 
I mean, that wasn't an easy call to make. <laughs> that was not an easy call to make. But you know what? She trusted the process because she had been all in. And she was so in tune with her King of Kings that it didn't scare her when he sat there and said, what did I just do? It didn't scare her when he said, I have to call this other person, or I need to go pick up my clothes, or I need to go see her to do this, because this is the relationship that she was worried about, not this one. And when you're so focused on God that this doesn't matter, you guys, we live in a sin-filled world. 15 minutes from here, what just happened three days ago, where people are at the airport and a crazy person starts shooting? That... I'm capable of doing that. You're capable of doing that. Without God and without his redeeming power in our life, we are that person that we are capable of all of that. And that may be what you're seeing in your husband or in your wife right now. But with God, when we have our relationship right this way, then all of this will fall into place because he will make that happen in his perfect time. Guess what? He has a vantage point that we don't have. He has a vantage point that we can't see. And some of the things that our family's gone through, I have thought to myself, it's so not fair. I'm kind of a whiner. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm a whiner. We... And I would say to God, why would this happen? Or why would that happen? Or for the longest time, I didn't understand why so many bad things would happen to my mom. I remember being a teenager thinking her brother died when she was young. Her mom died when she was young. Her father died shortly after that. Like, why has this lovely woman gone through so much hardship? But you know what? It was because through those things that she has been through in her life, God used that to bring about his glory, to bring about change in Charlene Steinkamp, to bring about change in the Steinkamp family. And that may be what God's asking you to do today is to get all in and to stop looking at what you don't have, to stop looking at what's not happening, to stop complaining about the wall that is happening around you that's 20 feet wide that doesn't look like it's cracking. But when you're all in, then that wall comes down and you know it happened from God. It wasn't because of something that you contorted and twisted to happen. It was from God. Yesterday, our pastor showed a clip of a video and it, when he showed it, I was like, this sums up perfectly what we need to talk about tonight. And it's a um, Baptist preacher, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. He's been gone now for almost 20 years, but a clip from this sermon reminds us why we need to be all in. It's because of who our King of Kings is. So take a look at this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's 
a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. is my king and I don't care what you're going through that is my king and you need to decide if you're all in I don't want to be a fan I don't want to be a fan of Jesus I don't want to just cheer for him when it's convenient for me and do what Jesus asks from from me when it's convenient I want to be all in I want to be a follower, and whatever he wants from me, he will equip me to do it. Whatever he wants from you, he will give you the grace to do it. He will give you what you need to do it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to take a day, a month, or 10 years. But you know what? If it takes 10 years, then it was not 10 years wasted because my king knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. And we will miss the boat if we waste this opportunity, if we waste what you're going through, if we waste the hardship. You guys might be one of those people that people look at you and say, how do they go through all of this? How do they endure this hardship or all of the things that have happened to them? We can do that because my king has a better way than I do. And I don't want to twist the toy to fit his will into the toy my way. 
I want his way. And I want him to give me the grace to be patient and to wait. And he will do that. You know what? My mom is ticked off that she is not here tonight. She's, she called me when she called me right before she was leaving and said, I can't come. And she was mad. But you know what she said? I know that God is using this illness that I've had for the past couple of weeks. She texted my daughter the other day and said, I'm so sad I couldn't come. One of my kids had a birthday party the other night. Grandma couldn't come. And she said, but you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting here and I'm reading my Bible. And I'm reading books that I haven't had time to read. And I'm taking this time with the Lord. So right now, your husband or your wife might be gone. Your husband or wife might be sleeping on a couch in another room, or they might be sleeping in the bed beside you. But don't waste this opportunity. Ask God what he's going to do right now through this. And get all in, because you will not waste that opportunity. Let's pray. God, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for being the King of Kings. God, you died a painful, horrid death for us, and we didn't deserve it. Lord, I pray that you would just help us all to be all in. God, help us to focus on you and to not look at the walls around us, to not look at what the locusts have eaten and what's barren, and to say, Lord, how can you ever redeem this? God, we know you can redeem it. You are the king of kings. You rose from the grave, Lord. I pray that you would give each of us faith in this room to be able to handle the things that come. Lord, I pray that 2017 is the year of restoration for many, many marriages. We pray it every day. But God, for some, it may be a year of more hardship and more hurt and more trials. And Lord, instead of facing those and saying, God, why? Why are you allowing this? Lord, help us to do it with grace grace that can only come from you. Lord, I pray that as we begin this new year that we would all just commit to be all in in our relationship with you, Lord. I pray that we would take our time with you in the Bible and that we would spend more time in prayer and even praying for our spouse. So many people are standing for restoration and they don't pray for their spouse. God, help us to become men and women of prayer. And Lord, we don't understand why these things happen, but I know that almost every person in this room has probably been questioned by well-meaning friends and family members saying, why are you doing that? God, let us all be a witness for what you can do, for the impossible. And Lord, we know that you can be glorified through this. And we thank you for using us as the vessel to do that, God. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for each man and woman here. And I pray that you would just continue to bless our time together as we fellowship. In your name, amen. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages. Divorce strikes families around the world, often with little notice. You can help us minister to these families with your financial gift. Visit RejoiceMinistries.org and help us teach men and women what Jesus can do for their hurting family.